This morning, we're, we're of course, uh, continuing our sermon series looking at the book of Acts. And the passage that we're going to hear read this morning is um, a passage from one of the the missionary uh, trips of the apostle Paul and his companion Barnabas. And so we're, we're into the the part of the book that covers the expansion of the gospel that's, that's way past Jerusalem and the surrounding region and into um, what is now modern Turkey. Um, so the Roman province that was called Galatia at that time. And what we're going to hear this morning is uh, the scripture reading it itself is a sermon. Uh, and it's a sermon that's preached to people who have Um, quite likely never heard the name of Jesus. They're gathering in a synagogue, and they they may never have heard that name before. Jesus was like a celebrity in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. But you get far afield of that, and who's that? Don't know. So we're gonna we're gonna sit, as it were, on on the front row, as if in the synagogue, and listen to this sermon by the Apostle Paul to a people um, who are the people of God. They gather to hear the scriptures read Sunday by Sunday, and they're going to hear about their Messiah who's come for the first time. And this is what Paul said in his sermon. I'll invite Carol to read the scripture for us. This morning's reading is taken from Acts 13, verses 26 to 43. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, 
lest what is said in the prophet should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. This is the word of the Lord. This past week, I'm standing in Shoppers Drug Mart um, looking at the magazines. My subscription to McLean's magazine um, expired this past month, so there I am, uh, kind of imagining the possibilities. Um, I, I think when you look at magazine covers, what you're seeing is often a lot of different images of freedom. For example, one magazine that's on the on the rack in front of me. It's just called Running. Now imagine, imagine if you were the kind of person who runs just because you like it, and you actually like read up on it as well. Imagine the freedom when you're like that healthy and that strong, robust. There's a magazine called Retirement Guide, Financial Freedom. So if you plan now, you can not just retire at like 55 or, or whatever, but retire wealthy, free to do the things that you love. In the travel magazines, there's a, there's a headline that's Canada's last great wilderness, travel in the Yukon. Imagine the freedom to, to go leave the city far behind. There's no traffic. There's no light pollution. It's just open country, rugged, beautiful, free. Or if you're not outdoorsy, if, if you would consider yourself indoorsy, uh, you, there's, there's country living. Get out of the city in like rustic styles, you know? So you've got your, your coffee and the fireplace and your book that you've been wanting to read. You're free. And there's many more, many more titles as well. Titles about simple living and images of like simple diet. Can we just get back to simplicity? Images of a good life, a free life. In our passage today, Paul is speaking to a group of people about the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the king, Paul says. He is the king. And as the king, Jesus brings a freedom. And it's a kind of freedom that you will never see on a magazine cover but it's true freedom that meets our deepest need. Two points this morning. Uh, this is how I've organized my thoughts here. Jesus is king, so turn away from false sources of freedom and false freedom. Second, Jesus is king, so receive the freedom that he offers you. Turn away from false freedom. Second, receive the freedom that he offers to you. Okay, first point. 
often we're not really chasing after freedom as such, but we're, we're seeking for something that promises to give you freedom. For example, those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, verse 27 of the passage, let's consider them, for example. The religious leaders and the religious establishment during Jesus' day in Jerusalem. What were they seeking? And why was Jesus a threat that they perceived? One of the Gospels lets you listen in on a conversation among the religious leaders. Here's a quote from that conversation. They say this, What are we to do? For this man, Jesus, performs many signs, miracles. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. From John chapter 11. What they want is the status quo. The status quo where they have their position, they have their status, they have their influence, they have their nation. But then Jesus shows up and many people start to follow him all of a sudden. Apparently he heals people. The crowds are getting very excited, but they're getting totally carried away because now there's this preposterous rumor that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the new king of the Jews, so-called. And the Romans are tolerant to a point. They do not tolerate rebellion. If this goes on, and if this king, Jesus, starts leading a rebellion, then what will happen is the fury of Rome will descend upon Jerusalem, and they will lose everything. They'll lose their place in their nation. That's the fear. And when it comes down to it, either he goes or they lose their freedom, their way of life, their nation. Verse 28, though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate, the Roman, to have him executed. Their power, status, that they have, it promises them freedom. So they protect their power at all costs, knives out, when it comes down to it. But I want to ask, what, what is this freedom that they have, honestly? They don't live in a kingdom of their own. They live in a Roman province. It's not called Israel, it's called Palestine. Dominated by Rome. They pay heavy taxes to Rome. They have a vassal king named Herod. He's not even Jewish, or he's half Jewish. He got the kingdom because he was appointed by Rome to that role. He was the highest bidder. For these religious leaders and, and rulers in Jerusalem, their whole pursuit of power gives them this kind of shallow freedom, which is not really freedom at all when you think about it. But that's the truth about all of our idols, I think. The things that you and I worship, and when I say idol, I don't mean like carved images of a god. What I mean is something that you worship, something that, that promises to give you freedom and satisfaction in your life. Listen to a quote. This is from author David Foster Wallace. 
Here's what he says. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or a spiritual thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, you will never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start to show, you will die a million deaths before the grave. Worship power, and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid. You'll need even more power to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Do you hear what he's saying? There are good things, right? Beauty, power, intellect, they're good things, but they all decay every one of them. They're all vulnerable to decay. We know that, don't we? And what makes it so anxious is that when you put the weight of your soul on that thing, when you put your your hope of freedom on that thing, your hope is a heavy thing. When you put it on these things, it is an anxious, an anxious ride. Now compare that, all those things, with Jesus Christ. Everything on the, on the magazine covers will decay. They will, but Jesus will not. Not according to the word of God, he will never fail. Verse 30. God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to many people. They are witnesses, eyewitnesses. This is the good news Paul says, we bring you good news that God promised to the fathers. And now, at at this point in the passage, Paul starts to like rapid-fire scripture quotations. He's trained as a rabbi. You can see that right now. He knows these backwards and forwards. What did God promise to their ancestors? Verse 33. Look at it there with me. As it is written in Psalm 2, and he, he gives a quote. Now, Psalm 2 is about the king of all the world, the king of all the nations, the global king appointed by Yahweh, the God of Israel, appointed by God to rule over the nations, invincible. What else did God promise the fathers? I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Now that quote comes from a a passage in the prophets where there's this invitation sent out to the whole world to come to a rich banquet in the kingdom of the Messiah. And this is a Messiah who reigns forever. Verse 35, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. This is good news. We have a king who has an eternal throne and he brings blessing to the whole world and his reign will never end and it will never fail. So, here's the first application this morning, and it's to everyone. You probably don't subscribe to a magazine, okay? I I don't know who does that anymore these days. But um, if you were browsing, okay, if you were in Shopper's Drug Mart looking at the covers, um, 
with the, with, right in front of you, all these images of different things. What do you reach for? I'm curious. What do you reach for? What is it? Is it the Dwell magazine, like real estate magazine, interior design? Is it cottage living? Is it, is it the finances one? Um, vacations, fitness, health, images of beautiful people? I don't mean like just what catches your interest. I mean, what is, what is your heart drawn to and tempted to worship? I think a helpful question is, what, what draws your interest and at the same time gives you this twinge of anxiety? For me, it's Economist magazine. <laughs> okay, okay, honest confession. In, in the world of news magazines, there's like the McLean's magazines. Okay, that's kind of... But then there's Economist magazine. That's like the gold standard. And what if... What, what if I was the kind of person who not only read Economist magazine, that's like weekly, it's a lot of stuff, right? Who not only read it, but also understood most of it. <laughs> wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be something? Understand the world's problems, right? Understand what the, what the solutions are. How do, we, you know, how do we figure this stuff out? It draws my heart. It, it does. <laughs> um, at the same time, I feel anxious about it. When I look at the covers, it's like, you've got to read this. This is so important, whatever it's on the cover. Geopolitics. Um, but I feel anxious at the same time. Because I have an idol that I am given to worship, and it's my own intellect, my own understanding. Now, that's me. What is it for you? What is it for you, I wonder? The good news about Jesus is an invitation to turn away from worshiping created things or worshiping your own abilities, your own self-improvement, to turn away from worshiping those things. Because it's one thing to like enjoy the stuff in, in the magazines. It's another entirely to worship that thing, to get your hope of freedom from that thing. When all that it can do is give you a shallow freedom, a brittle freedom. It will not give you what you want. And by nature, it's vulnerable to decay. Turn away from worshiping that thing and turn to Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, raised in power and glory, never to die again. He is the king of the world. There is no power like his power. And that is why he alone can give you a freedom that is deep freedom and lasting freedom. True freedom. Greater than any other source. Now, up, up to now, it's, it's been kind of focused on the negative, like turn away from other things, other sources of freedom. Let's, let's turn now to focus on the positive. Turn to what? Well, Jesus, but more can be said. And so here's the second point now. Jesus is king, so receive the freedom that he offers to you. In the past couple of weeks, I've started reading a book about personal finances because that's not an area of life that I'm good at. Anyway, 
this book is by a financial advisor named Preet Banjari, and he's sometimes a panelist on CBC kind of uh, finance shows. Um, his book has five chapters, and each one gives a, a financial principle. So, rule number three. Here it is. Aggressively pay down high-interest debt. Listen to the first paragraph of that chapter. Here it is. Debt can cripple people's finances. It can ruin marriages and relationships. It can make you miserable. And it can handcuff you, keeping you from realizing your financial potential. This applies to any high-interest debt. Now this strikes me. I'm going to read it one more time, and I'm going to swap in the word sin in the place of debt. Listen to what he says, or listen to this version. Sin can cripple people's finances. It can ruin marriages and relationships. It can make you miserable, and it can handcuff you, keeping you from realizing your potential. This applies to any sin. From the worldview of the Bible, that is our human situation. That's our human condition. From the very beginning of the human race, from Adam and Eve, we human beings prefer to make up our own definition of good and evil. We ignore what our, our, our maker has to say about that topic. Uh, we mostly just ignore our maker. That's the default setting of the human heart. And that's what I'm referring to when I talk about sin, deep, at the deep level. To abandon our maker and creator and his guidance for our lives and to make up our own, and to worship other things, created things. We turn away from the Creator. We make up our own definition of good and evil, and we look at the good in the magazines. And because the thing that you desire is a created thing, it's by nature vulnerable, but your whole satisfaction in life your sense of freedom depends on that thing. So there is no price too high to pay to get it. Everything else bows to that need and that pursuit. I'll read it one, one more time as it's originally written. Debt can cripple people's finances. It can ruin marriages and relationships. It can make you miserable. It can handcuff you, keeping you from realizing your financial potential. This applies to any high-interest debt. And from the worldview of the Bible, our sin is like a financial debt. Before the divine creditor, men and women, we all have. We have bad debt. We have bad credit. However financially savvy you may be, when it comes to the only credit rating that really matters, that ultimately matters, we all have bad credit. Mine is, and so is yours. We have a track record of borrowing stuff from the lender, but instead of use it for his glory and for his praise and thanksgiving, we use his stuff as a reason 
why we ignore him. We have a track record of tax evasion. We don't give the sovereign his due. Now, you can change your habits, and you can change your material finances. You can read a book that's got five principles, and dip, 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 dip. you can start getting your house in order. You can do that with your material finances. You cannot, you cannot manage your way out of your spiritual debt. So a question, what do you do when you're overwhelmed by debt and your situation is unmanageable and hopeless? What do you do in that situation? What do you do? You can declare bankruptcy. Not just you can, but that's the, in fact, the only thing really to do in that kind of a situation. You can declare bankruptcy to the creditor. That's the option when all your other options are gone and run out. And friends, that, that's the only option, spiritually speaking. Before God, verse 38, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Everyone who believes in Jesus has their debt forgiven. Forgiven. That is because for you who believe, Jesus Christ has become your surety, um, which means a surety is a person that assumes the responsibility of paying your debt. And for you who believe, that is who Jesus is. For you, he's your surety. Jesus paid your debt. For you who believe, when you, when you believe in Jesus, he takes all of your debts, tax evasion, fraud, embezzlement, money laundering, all of it, he takes all of it, he takes all your debts, that's what a surety does, and Jesus nails them to the cross and they're left there. They're not on your record anymore. They're on the cross, hanging there with a nail through them, through the paper. Paid in full, all your debt, paid. What's more, he, because you're, you're united to Jesus, he's taken all of your debt and he gives you all of his assets, a clean bill, perfect financial health and wealth, his riches are yours. Now, how do you come? How do you come to him? Some of you do not yet believe in Jesus. I would urge you to come to him. I was very struck by this financial um, book that I'm reading. When he's talking about, for example, um, insurance, there was a, some, some stat that uh, one in three people will um, go on disability in their, in their lifetime. And, and the average length, that, what was I forget, it was like 90 days uh, on average. For some, it'll be two years or longer. And in this financial planning book, he is urging, he's like, what? Put down the book right now. Email your email a broker. You have to. You have to do this. You see, urging, urging. 
And I thought to myself, my goodness, this is true of one in three people, that they will go on disability at some point in their adult life. And when it comes to the gospel, when not one in three, but 100% of people will face the Lord God, shall I not urge those who do not yet have Jesus in their life, shall I not urge you this morning to seek him, to seek him and have him take your debt. That's a good deal. (laughs) That's a good deal. Come to him. Come to him. If you have not yet. Some of you do believe, but you're wandering. You're looking at other things. The magazine covers are looking very interesting. Um, More interesting. For all of us, for all of us, how do we come to him? Verse 34 in our passage has this quote from Isaiah. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Now in that same passage that that quote comes from, just two verses earlier, listen to what the passage says. Listen to the word of God. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear. Come to me here that your soul may live. Now here's how you come. It's with empty hands. You cannot buy his grace. You cannot. But once you admit your finances are a mess, You've blown it. Once you admit that and you come to him and you declare bankrupt, then you are ready to receive Jesus as he is. Your surety who takes your debts and they're paid, done. They're no more. Come. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money without price. Incline your ear, says your God to you this morning. Come to me. Come to Jesus. Hear that your soul may live. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this this good news about Jesus, that he is raised, that he is alive today, And from that first Sunday of Easter until this day, this call is going out, this invitation, come, come. And may we come, Lord. For those of us who have come and who have given all of our debt to him and received his riches, may we continue in the grace of God, as Paul and Barnabas urged the people to do who had believed. May we continue in the grace of God. For those who are hearing this word, Lord, and who are investigating Jesus, who are considering the Christian faith, may you help them, Lord, to consider his claims, uh, help him to consider, help them to consider what is offered in the gospel. And in your timing and by your grace, may you lead them by the hand. 
into a kingdom which is a rich feast with milk and wine without money and with rich food without price. We thank you for loving us and extending this invitation into all the world. We love you and thank you. Amen.